Hello, and welcome to Industry Town, brought to you by John Rosenfeld Studios. Uh, if you haven't, first up, please check out last week's episode where meditation specialist Johnny O'Callaghan talked about the importance of a meditation practice on your career and overall wellness, as well as like how to begin developing that practice if that's been tough for you in the past. And now, today, drumroll please. We have the amazing Brittany Rentschler on the pod. Britt and I have been friends for years. We've taught and coached together. We share an agent. We've been in each other's lives for a long time. So let me be the first to say that she's an incredible interview with an amazing point of view on her work and career that is just dynamite inspiring. She also recently got back from Sundance, where her film Uncle Frank premiered. So we spent a while talking about the Sundance experience from an actor's point of view. I know it's a bucket list thing for so many of us, but what does it really tail and how do you actually make the most of that experience. From there we talk about all sorts of things from working in the southeast to self-tapes to her decision to say fuck off to fear and to live in joy and she credits that with really changing her career and leading to a whole bunch more work. It's a great conversation that I really enjoyed and I hope you do too. So here's Britt. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Hey there, welcome to Industry Town. We are here with... Britt Rentschler. Britt Rentschler, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> so, full disclosure, Britt and I actually did like a test podcast. Well, the police are coming after you right now. I'm not oh sure if you can hear the siren. Run, run. <laughs> but Britt and I did a test podcast and I was just thinking about this idea like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then you and I both ended up booking some jobs and not being in the state for a really long time. And Good so, problem to have. wonderful problem to have. So, um, we ended up kind of squashing that and now it's time to actually do the real thing mm-hmm. so i'm excited for this this yeah. is going to be fun my understanding is you are a little anxious right now yeah it's funny because last time i wasn't at all no and i was trying to put together what that was about okay um and the more i got to thinking about it it was because you know i just got back from sundance but you say just got back it's been almost a month mm-hmm. since sundance and we're in that crazy pilot season where everyone's waiting on auditions. Um, I don't know what my next job is going to be. And so I was able to trace it back to this place. I was recurring on a show last time we talked. Yeah. And there's a different sense of ease that you have when you know something's coming down the pipeline. And I, I was also thinking about the fact that anytime we're watching The Tonight Show or we're listening to podcasts, these are actors and creators who are on a press junket. Yeah. Their PR people are pushing something. They've written a book. They have a new album. They have a new show. So you get this really wonderful, vibrant energy of like, I'm in the middle of something, mm-hmm. which we all love and want to attach to. Um, but you happened to contact me at a time where truly what was going on in my mind is like, I don't know what I'm auditioning for next and I don't know what my next job is going to be. Oh my God, what the fuck am I going to talk about? Right? I feel like there are a whole bunch of people listening who are like, oh God, I know that story. Yeah. That's me. Exactly. And so then that kind of became, oh, like, well, maybe that's what we should talk about. Right? I think so. One thing that I think is so interesting is you say this, and on one hand, look, your experience is entirely true. And on the other, you've got LA Finest, which you've shot, which that's is going to come out. 
You know what? I thought it was January, but it's the first episode of their next season, and okay. they haven't given a specific launch date yet, which leads me to believe that maybe they're shooting more episodes than they originally thought, because mm-hmm. they were going to do another season of 13, so they might be doing some more. Okay. And then we also, just a week ago, Team Kaylee came out, yes? Yeah. Where you play a wrestler. Oh my God, so fun. <laughs> Please go to her Instagram, that'll be in the <gasps> show notes, and see those pictures. See those pictures, they are incredible. And just like, huge shout out to the entire creative team there, and Howard Meltzer, who's a casting director, because uh, they just said she had an East Coast feel, but man, I went in and brought full jersey, <laughs> just like crazy giant earrings, and like, I went for it, and they embraced it, and loved it, and then they ran with it, and then I was in like, leopard print with like, a bump it perm and like bright red lipstick. The hair is incredible in those pictures. Oh my gosh, they fake tanned me. They gave me like a cheetah paw tattoo. It was amazing. It was the role you were born to play that day. Uh, apparently, yes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was a... That, totally. It, it might have been on the bucket list. You just didn't know it yet. Yeah. But I think it's really important to call that out because this to me is the story of most people in this town is wherever you are, there is this feeling of like, but what's next? Is it enough? I can't really rest on my laurels. It, it Like, yeah, it was totally. great when I was shooting it, but now it's done and yep. I've been paid for it already. And so I'm back in the hustle, despite however mm-hmm. good this might seem to anyone else. Yes. And then, of course, there's a voice of how are they going to edit it anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, I did it, but am I going to like it? Is it going to be something I'm going to want to put on my reel? Is it going to help me move forward? Do you, you like know? most of the stuff when you watch it? I am not an actor who hates stuff. I can say that. I am not someone that needs to leave the premiere before the movie starts. I'm always fascinated by how everything gets put together. And I'm mostly fascinated by the process of being on set and watching other people work and seeing how scenes were shot and then the choices that the filmmakers make to put it all together. Okay. And just the threading that happens between everyone's perspectives is so fascinating. Do you feel like you've learned anything really tangible watching other people on set that you've been like stealing that? Yeah. Uh, stealing that. Mm. Or integrating it. Yeah. And to, like... I would say the one thing I've taken away from it mm-hmm. is that nobody's perspective is ever it's like Rashomon it really is yeah everybody is clouded a little bit by their own anxieties and their own fears and what I see another actor doing I then hear them talk about and they have a totally different perspective of what happened and I know that's exactly what's happening with me and then I think about the director especially in tv who's coming in and this whole crew has been together forever and they're just jumping in to direct an episode and you're watching them navigate new personalities and mm-hmm. working formats. And I mean, I think the thing that I took away is just that we all are in the same boat. I feel like when I watch people, one thing almost always hits me, mm-hmm. which is there is a level of ease to what they are doing. There's a yes. level of simplicity that mm-hmm. that's, and I don't mean to say that they're not doing working hard or doing a lot in that work, but that what that thing has come to and it's mm-hmm. in its, I guess, final form, because at some point we got to shoot it and call it a day. Absolutely. Is something that does not seem taxing. And yeah. I remember, you know, I, we both came up doing theater mm-hmm. and for me, I was not doing my job if I was not like sweating and bleeding yeah. by the end of a play. Oh, I wanted God. to feel like I had just like bared everything for people, yep. which probably explained why I took a role where I had to be naked on stage. It's just uh, like, look at me. I I'm here for you. Turning myself inside out for my art. 
And now I kind of think like that's a big red flag in television because mm-hmm. like you can't do that every day. No. And that seems exhausting. And like, I, do you really have to call on the great muse to just show up for a fucking job? Mm-mm. It's a day. We got 22 of these. We got 13 of these. Totally. We got a, we've got a long day. Absolutely. And if you do have a scene which requires that, which is not often in television, I would say, mm-hmm. more often climactic in a feature film. Sure. Um, I feel like there is still such a great sense of ease in the people that are orchestrating that beautifully because mm-hmm. they are so confident that they can slip into that moment, allow themselves to go there and then be able to come right back out of it on the other side. Mm-hmm. And that shows it's still a sense of ease, even if it's an incredibly vibrant or like virtuoso moment of their performance, it still feels like there's a lot of trust involved with themselves and their craft. Like they're letting it flow through them rather than doing some Herculean task. Trying to like, yeah, roll the stone up the hill. (laughs) You know? It's like, no, I'm a channel. I'm, there's something in, like I love the word shaman or shamanism, Mm -hmm. um, which means hollow bone, which I think is so fascinating because it's this idea that Anything that you have that gets in your way sticks, right? And then, and then spirit can't move through. So when we think about ourselves as vessels for our characters, when we get in the way with whatever it is, our own fears, our own anxieties, that's, it sticks, right? Mm -hmm. But if we can empty out our vessel and let it flow through, there we are. Ooh, it's right? like cleansing ourselves out Absolutely. of whatever doubt or or preconceived notions. Worry, yeah. everything. Yeah, and then it flows through. And if it flows through, it's flowed through. You a- don't have to do a lot of work after you're done, mm-hmm. right? I think that you can acclimate yourself back to your own natural state in a much easier way. Isn't there that kind of like principle that nature abhors a vacuum? Yes. So it's like if we do empty out, like something will fill that place. Absolutely. Yeah. Physics are pretty cool too. They are. You know? There. We'll have a whole physics but no, yeah! we're not, I am just no. so not Where's the person Bill to host Nye? that. Oh, I love him. Oh, if I could get him on the podcast. Oh my God. I don't think I'd say very much, but I'd be very interested. I, we would just stare stare. I just <laughs> Oh god, it's my turn to ask a question. I'm so sorry, Bill. Totally. Um okay, well let's talk about Sundance because cool. It was a couple weeks ago for you now, but I do think that's like an actor bucket list dream experience to get to go with a project to Sundance. I went when I was 25 Mm -hmm. um, and it was out of this like (laughs) thought of, I need to get out there more. I need to meet more people. I need to network. I need to go where those people are. And so I had this idea, which was I'll rent an RV. And I will go alone to Sundance and I'll bring like 300 business cards with me. And I even thought I belong to 24 hour fitness. So I'll find a 24 hour fitness. That's where I'll shower. And I told this to people that I knew and they all wanted to be a part of this. And so very quickly we went from me doing this as cheaply as possible to like five of my friends and us being just like total idiot 25 year olds. We were just there at a party and we like probably saw two movies and I had an amazing time, but I don't know that it was useful. Do you still have the business cards? I probably do somewhere. Um, I probably do. We need to post that on social media, please. Yeah. Okay. The biggest memory that I have was the number of times that we just jumped over fences wearing like our like nice winter wear to mm-hmm. and, like falling into the snow next to a heat lamp and being like, and I'm in the party now. Yep. I belong here. Don't look at me sideways. Yeah, nope. So needless to say, it was very productive. (laughs) And I told myself, I'm not going back until I'm with a project. That's the next version. Yes. Yeah, I think, well, you know, there's benefits 
to all of it, I think. I mean, for you, don't you feel like that adventure benefited you? It definitely is a great number of stories. Many of them I will can't tell. Can't repeat. I can't but repeat do here. You, do you feel like it demystified the process a little bit? I think it did demystify it a little bit. The place that I left a little bit not happy was it felt like it was something I wasn't invited to. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that part did not feel helpful right. to me because it, it got it was a big dose of like, do you have a movie here? No. And here's the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that I totally blame them because you are showing up to a work event for as much yes. as it seems fun and like a giant party. Yeah. It's a work party. Yes. People are negotiating million dollar deals. Careers are are ascending or descending right then and there. Hopes and dreams are being negotiated. Um, publicists are, are working things. And it's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, hey, it's movies and like hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think learning how to hang out within that place is a really wonderful muscle. Mm-hmm. But I ended up feeling like, I'm not a part of this yet. And that didn't feel good. So that was the the double-edged sword. Yes. I've also like feeling like, oh, here it is. And there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt is. just walking down the street and feeling the part of all those things. But- yeah. And getting the information. I feel like often in our industry, this idea that everything is behind castle gates mm-hmm. is very fortified mm-hmm. by agencies and uh, PR agents and all of that stuff. They want you to believe that Hollywood is behind these golden gates. They do. It it serves them a lot. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it serves us in terms of people buying the products that we put out because if it feels exclusive, it's all exciting, right? Um, Everyone wants to watch the red carpet at the Oscars, right? They're wearing jewels and gowns and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I think it's important to know that it, it, they're people and they're in rooms mm-hmm. and there's there. Have you been in a room before? With four walls and a floor? <laughs> I have you right have. now. In That's fact. so wild. It's kind of like going to a wedding. Like weddings are special because of the people that are there, obviously, and your mm-hmm. connection to them. But it's is it a banquet hall? Is it a park? Right. It's still the same thing. It's it's yeah, it's the same thing. And you you see the chairs there. There's 150 chairs that all look the same because they were rented. You know, <laughs> there's these things that it, it is an event and it is a room and it is people. And I think that to me was really landing of like, OK, yeah, this is always going on. And it's been on many, many years that I haven't been here and it will go on many, many years after me. Hopefully we love Sundance, yep. um, but it is people in a room and they do have big deals that they're talking about. Um, but they were worried about what they were going to wear mm-hmm. to the red carpet. They were freaking out about their hair and makeup or like, oh, my God, there's that big rep that I need to pitch to. And I'm worried about this. And like, we're going to go meet with Amazon at seven in the morning. But like, they might just be meeting with us to tell us that the tentative deal that we already had is going to fall through and no one else is going to pick us up. And then we look like assholes. And then they're stressed, too, because they're competing over things and wondering whether their whether their bottom line is going to be okay based on what they buy. And are they able to promote it? And is someone going to steal it from under them? And totally everyone has things that they're worried about that mm-hmm. aren't you. Exactly. So talk to me about uh, when you found out you were going to Sundance mm-hmm. or that Uncle Frank was going to Sundance. Yes. Um, well, actually, let's back up one second. Tell me just a little bit about Uncle Frank. So Uncle Frank is a movie that was written and directed by Alan Ball. Amazing. So that's uh, American yeah. Beauty, Six Feet Under, True Blood, and Absolutely. on and on and on. I have been obsessed Alan, I'm obsessed with you. I think you know this already. For a long time. Um, I We mentioned growing up in theater. Mm-hmm. I was very much a theater kid. And I had seen a bunch of blockbuster movies. And, you know, I just didn't realize that film could do 
different things. And I saw American Beauty and was like, holy shit, this is like theater. Like Mm -hmm. this is transformational. This is cathartic. I thought it was E.T., which is also wonderful in its own way. But it's, not, that's such a small movie now compared to what blockbusters are. Right, E.T. It's a, totally. But, you but, know, those kids movies that you grow up watching and you think like, oh, this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that film could feel like that. And so that was one of my first hooks into wanting to do film and TV. And then I loved True Blood. I remember hearing about it on NPR. And then I watched the show and just kind of building my relationship um, to an artist that, you know, you have those people where you feel like no matter what this person does, I'm going to love it. Yeah. I'm going to feel deeply seen by the art that they create. So that was always Alan Ball. So I was really excited when I got the audition for it. Um, and then I, I was told that I was on hold and I really appreciate how upfront casting was because, you know, sometimes they can be very vague, obviously for very good reasons. Um, but they said, listen, hey, like Alan wrote this for a friend and her schedule might be kind of fucked. And if it is, like, it's you. And if not, it's her. And I was like, okay. And so for days and days and days, I just envisioned myself on set, envisioned myself showing up and making everyone's lives easier and wonderful and interacting with the other actors and just... What I honestly, the thing that I landed on was this is a next level moment for me. And what I wish for this other actress that I don't know is that she has a next level moment for her. And then we both get to expand from this experience. I love that. There's so much kindness in that. There's no competition. There's the idea that actors are in service, which I think is a true concept that people forget constantly. Absolutely. And how much do you visualize that kind of stuff? All the time. That's something I've been doing a lot more lately. I think so often, you know, when we coach auditions, I think sometimes people visualize what they think the scene's going to look like when it's like cut together with the movie in their head. But they've never given a thought to, well, what is a good version of it? auditioning in that tiny little room with the paper thin walls with the person who intimidates you or maybe you have a great relationship with or whatever. What does Mm -hmm. that really look like? And what is the version where you're the winner? Um, I don't mean that in a competitive sense, but where you shown up. Because so often with auditions or any of this stuff, we visualize, we don't even realize that we're visualizing failure. We're visualizing, I'm going to forget my line. They're Mm -hmm. not going to know me. They're going to be running late. I'm not going to get a call back. Someone's going to be eating a sandwich or looking at their computer. And in all of these, we are visualizing what it's like to have a bad audition Mm -hmm. versus what does it look like when it goes well? Yep. So you do that on the reg. Yes, Has that been part of your process for a long time or? I would say maybe for the past four or five years. Okay. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna circle back to that because I have some questions about <laughs> uh-huh. that. But I want to finish with Uncle Frank. Do you have like just for people to get excited what yeah. like a log line of this movie and who yeah. you play? Whatever it's you're allowed to say. Totally. I know you don't know the release date. So yeah. sorry, guys. We know Amazon bought it for $12 million, woo-woo, Woo. which was great. Coming out hot. Um, it was one of the first two movies to be bought at Sundance. So that was really exciting. Um, and it was also very cool because at the dinner that UTA threw uh, after the premiere, I knew that they had a big meeting at Amazon in the morning. So hearing it's just like neat to be in that place where like, oh yeah, uh, Alan had to leave early. Like they have a meeting with Amazon in the morning pretty early and like casual conversation. And then, you know, two days later, it's like Amazon buys it. And you're just like, holy shit, I was there. That's crazy. Who did you hear that from? Was it, did you get on your phone or did someone tell you? Um, you know what? I had a couple friends text me that were on the East Coast and they saw it before I did. And so I woke up to the messages, which was amazing. That's got to feel like you're living the Hollywood dream. 
You're in Sundance finding out that Amazon is buying this movie that you are in for millions of dollars. I love that you say that because that it should feel like that or not should, but it's that is a perspective that I could have. And I think rather than thinking that, uh, I just thought, oh, I'm so fortunate to be a part, to be a small part of this movie in some way because I wasn't the lead. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to be really conscious of those thoughts because the way that you presented it is a way that I could be thinking about it and it would probably serve me more joy to experience it in that way. It's all stories, right? Right. Absolutely. Rather than thinking, oh, well, I got invited into the UTA house for like a night. <laughs> Hey, you showed up there and they made $12 million. So I feel like yeah. maybe they hey. should invite you back. Yeah. Uh, but what's the logline for this movie? Okay, great. So it's uh, set in the 70s, which is super dope because the costume design, production design is gorgeous. Um, it is a guy, his name is Frank. Um, he's from South Carolina and he lives in New York. He's a professor at NYU. And it's told through the lens of his niece, who okay. Sophia Lillis plays, who's amazing. She's, she's wonderful. Dude, she's blowing up. She's mm-hmm. so she's good. She's on billboards all over town right yeah. now. Yeah, it's I'm not okay with this is coming out and mm-hmm. she's she's just she's amazing. Anyway, um so it's it's shown through her eyes, but uh she goes to NYU, finds out that he is gay and she thought that he was living with me. My mm. my character's name is Charlotte. Um I play his beard to his family okay. and also the beard to his partner's family mm. um who's in Saudi Arabia and they think we're that we're married and then his family thinks that Frank and I are dating. Gotcha. I'm actually a lesbian. Just like one of their best friends. And everyone's helping each other function. Yeah, everyone's helping each other function, which is so wild and not uncommon. And I felt really connected to it because my aunt lived in New York um, in the 70s. And this was like not an uncommon thing to be happening within even the circle of people that she knew. So it was it was just it was a very cool thing. So he goes basically patriarch dies. He has to go back down to South Carolina. They take a road trip. And it's Paul Bettany, right? It's oh, yeah. And he is gorgeous. He's just so (laughs) wonderful. And now he gets to do movies like that because he's got that Marvel money. Exactly. Make that Marvel money and then make that Uncle Frank. Absolutely. Yeah. And he was super connected to it. He had a really interesting uh, the Q&A at Sundance. Um, his father came out very late in life and then went back into the closet before he died. Whoa. Because he would, like, the religious indoctrination that had happened for him made him very afraid. Oh, God. So he felt a really strong connection to playing a character that's very afraid to come out to family. Absolutely. Um, so it's just a beautiful story. It's a really beautiful human story. You know, a little bit of period piece, a little bit of road trip, um, a whole lot of character study. I love it. I love it. I'm yeah. so excited for you about that. Thank That's you. wonderful. Yeah. So when you find out you get into Sundance, how much does your team help you? Mm. Like you've got to figure out a place to stay. How you're going to get there? What yeah. parties to go to? When the screenings are? Is there handholding or is it like figure it out? No, it's really figure it out. But luckily, I get really excited by that because mm-hmm. I love puzzles and problems. Um, so as soon as I found out that we got in, I was on it. Um, I will say it helps out a lot if you have a PR person. That was probably the most useful thing that I experienced. So do you have a PR team on retainer right now? I do, yeah. yeah. Um, I work with Laura Ackerman at Advantage PR. She's amazing. I love her. She cares a lot about who she's working with. Um, and we weren't even on because I don't know how much people know. But, you know, when you're promoting something like we were talking about earlier, you go on for a couple of months with your PR person and they set up your interviews and they try to get you pressed and they do all these things. How do you think she ended up on this? This podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
Um, it has nothing to do with years of wonderful friendship. No, at no, nothing all. at all. Um, so I just messaged her, and without even being on, she contacted the PR person for Uncle Frank. She found out the details. So we started communicating, and then it was like, okay, great. Britt's got an invitation to do the red carpet. She's got an invitation to the screening. She's got an invitation to the cocktail hour afterward, and then the sit-down dinner at the UTA house. So that was how that happened. Now, at a certain level, let's say if I were Paul or Sophia, um, you would imagine that it's like, hi, we're flying you out. You're staying at the Deer Lodge, you know, which is like $3,000 mm-hmm. a night for anyone who doesn't know. Sundance is crazy. Um, and then we're taking care of everything. Here's your pass. La, la, la. So I got a very nice version of that. I was surely invited that felt amazing. And I will say, when I did move out to LA, I made a list of things that I wanted to accomplish. And one of the very first things that I wrote down was, I want to go to Sundance in a film that I love and a role that I'm proud of. Ooh. So when that hit me that I was going, mm-hmm. I, cr- I almost hysterically cried. Because it really is one of those things where you can go back and you can look at your own handwriting mm-hmm. and you can be like, holy shit, like, this is what I wanted. And for all the times that something hasn't come through and you didn't get a role and you're wondering what the fuck you're doing and, you know, should I have done it differently? Has it taken too long? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You just have to understand that time is a circle. <laughs> You know, it's a flat circle. It is. You want to be there. You're going to be there, but you don't know when you just have to keep putting yourself in the position and you have to stay true to your vision and not give up. Quick break to tell you that this episode of Industry Town is sponsored by Horrible Haikus, everyone's favorite offensive poetry game. This game is perfect for actors, entertainers, or anyone who's willing to just look a little bit silly in front of their friends. Uh, Horrible Haikus is available online at horriblehaikusgame.com. And if you are an Industry Town listener, you can get the game for 50% off with the code HAIKU50. Again, that code is HAIKU50. That makes the game just $15, so go check that out on online and get yourself a copy. So then you're making reservations, Airbnb or hotel. Great, great, great. So what I did, um, I love a bargain. So <laughs> I figured out that no matter what, you have to take a lift to get into Park City, no matter okay. where you're staying. So all of the places nearby, like the cheapest place was $1,000 a night. And then maybe 20 minutes away, it was like $600 a night. So I stayed in Salt Lake City at a hotel that Sundance recommended because they do have film screening in Salt Lake City. Okay. It was $140 a night. It's a lot better than $1,000. Uh, you think? And it's only a 35 to 40 minute lift ride into um, Park City. Okay. And it was about a $40 lift ride amazing so uh, even going back and forth as many times as i did i did it for a much a super reasonable amount there's of a gift in there too because you get that car ride to focus you totally. get that car ride to take a breath to hollow out as yes. you just said and mm-hmm. be ready for that experience where god if you're just rolling right into it i can imagine that the stimulus never stops there's right. never that moment to be removed from it and reflect mm-hmm. and think about okay well what do i need to what do we need to focus on what do i need to show up for exactly and this? you do need that because it's a busy situation and as you said it's very fun there's a lot going on but it is business i mean i watched like you know uta agents because this movie was packaged by uta i watched them wheeling and dealing the whole time and in the most casual way in the way that you're like oh hey yeah oh it's so good to see you yeah so 
about that uh, this script that I sent you. Like, you think we could you think we could uh, move forward with that and contact blah, blah 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 blah. As easy as like, oh, did you want me to get you a Lacroix from the fridge? <laughs> like, in one breath it's that, and then the next breath it's that, and that was very eye opening to me. Yeah. Um, so then the other business there is Q and A's. Yes. And I feel like that's relatively self-explanatory. People have kind of been to those before. Mm -hmm. But like, how do you handle the parties where Mm -hmm. you are a part of something, but my guess is you don't know more than a a 5% of the people in any of those rooms. So what do you do to make the most out of that? Because I think a lot of people get very scared in that time. I think they either retract or they just hit the booze really hard really quickly. Yes. So what's like a, what's the strategy? What do you feel like you learned in terms of how to take advantage of that time or, or show up? your best self. I think it's best to release any expectations. You don't know who you're going to talk to. You just don't know. You don't fucking know. You don't so know. just relax. It is unknown and there's nothing you can do to make it known. So just make peace with that. You might talk to 15 people. You might talk to zero people, but you have to trust that you're a resourceful person and that you, even if you're not talking to anyone, you're not going to be standing there like a bump on a log. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, walk to another room. Go outside. You can go back to the bar. You don't have to get another drink. You can get a seltzer water. You can get – there's – you have to trust that the ways to connect are going to show up. So faith. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Live by your middle name. There it oh, is. Oh, hey. hey yeah. A little bit of that. Um, do you have a favorite moment of Sundance? You know, my favorite moment – that's such a good question. Thank you for asking that. Um, my favorite moment was when Alan introduced the film. Well, we were backstage and someone said, uh, hey, how are you doing? And he was like, I feel like I'm 10 feet out of my body. Huh. And it was just such a vulnerable response. And, and I was like, oh, my God, me too. Like, this is my first Sundance. I just did the red carpet. You know, you have all those feelings about, like, I know I was invited, but even then, do I really belong here? I'm not a lead in this movie, et cetera, et cetera. All of the voices that you have to just tell to relax. I got it. This is a joyful experience. Let's be here. So to hear him say that, he was like, yeah, I've been to screenings of this before, but not with this many people. And you could just tell that he, his heart was pumping out of his chest. And then we went in and we sat down and he got on the mic and he introduced every cast member that was there. And he even said, a lot of our cast members came here on their own dime to be a part of this movie and to support it. And I want to recognize everyone. And he had a stand up. Oh my goodness. And wave to the audience and talk about feeling invited. Yeah. It was amazing. You know, because you have to understand too, this is a beautiful movie, but it was an indie movie. Mm-hmm. So what I know about being on set is everybody who is a big star in this movie was doing this as a favor to Alan because they love him. It's not because they're getting paid a ton of money. It's because they believe in the project. So I think it's important for everyone to remember that mm-hmm. because we can delegitimize our experience making films a lot. I hear actors all the time. They're like, well, I'm just making it with my friends. And like, we don't really have a huge budget. And it's like, hey, dude, what do you think they're doing? Yeah, They're just banking on the fact that they can try to sell it later. And maybe people are getting back end points, but people are still showing up for the love of it. So he knew that and they weren't able to fly everyone out and take care of everybody. I'm sure in a way that any generous, loving person wants to take care of everyone, but it's it's expensive, right? Like we yep. said, it's designed to be that way yep. and to feel very exclusive. Um, so it just felt, I mean, it was a fucking moment, man. I got to Alan You got Ball, Alan introduced Ball by introduced Alan Ball at me. Sundance for a movie you're in. And I got to stand up and wave to an audience that was about to watch something that 
we put our heart and soul in. And it's, you know, for me especially, that wasn't one movie. That was 10 years after I made a list of wanting to be there in that moment and feeling it come true. That's really stunning. I yeah. like that. I got some chills. Yeah. Um, you mentioned red carpet. Have you been trained at all in red carpets? <laughs> No. <laughs> I remember I just fucked the reprisal one recently and I was just always, I've only done a couple and every time I'm reminded, I meant to ask people questions about this. I meant Dude, to do some research. I yes. meant to have some idea what the fuck I'm doing. And I do. If anybody's listening and has good red carpet coach recommendations, send them. I always ask and I never get an answer. I get great answers for stylists and hair and makeup and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like it, it's a, it's a difficult thing to know how to do. Yeah. And you don't know how to do it until you do it. And then you do it and you're like, oh, shit, I could have done that better. You know, it's you really don't get better unless you practice. And it's a moment. It's an important moment because those are pictures that you're going to be able to use to promote yourself, to give your agents to have online that represent you as this up and coming person in the industry. Totally. And you want to be confident enough without appearing arrogant, but mm. you need to feel fabulous. But like you don't want to feel out of place. You also want to know how to get those pictures. You want to know who you're supposed to talk to about that yes, stuff. There's totally. so many little pieces of it. So if anybody knows, uh, write to industrytownpodcast at gmail.com and I'll read the answer. Yeah, uh, on another podcast. We would love it because everybody has different body positions that look right for them. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's another takeaway of Sundance is just realizing that all of that stuff is our job. Being on the outside of it, it's projected as a fantasy. It's a fantasy to be at the Golden Globes on the carpet with the dress and the things, right? It's a fantasy to be at Sunset. It's also a part of our job. And we need to know how to do it well as well as we need to know how to be on set. Absolutely. And that's something that I think you can only pick up as you start to be invited more and more into these situations. But it's definitely not something anybody is born knowing how to do. Yeah. Okay. So I think that wraps up our Sundance conversation. Oh, cool. Okay. But I think Great. That also, that yeah, keep a two drink minimum, people. Like, it's work. You just don't want to be like don't be that sloppy guy. McSlopperson over in the corner. You know what I mean? Words of wisdom. And that's yeah. not just for sunset, for Sundance people. That's yeah. uh, that's just uh, words to live by for a work party. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so we, you said that you've started to visualize over mm -hmm. the last like four or five years. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to you about this before. I feel like your career really kind of shifted into a new gear about mm -hmm. that time. Um, when I look at your IMDb, oh I see recurrings on six daytime divas, good behavior, the resident lodge 49. I mean, you're starting to get a nice list of these recurrings plus other jobs here and there that are really solid guest stars on these things and some movies. What do you feel like changed or shifted into focus, became clear? Because um, I like to think it's not all luck. I mean, some of it we don't have something to do with. And sure. there's that piece, too, that you just have to take your moments when they come. Yeah. But do you feel like you shifted some either as, as an artist, an auditioner, or as a human around mm -hmm. that time? Yeah, I do. I think... There are so many reasons that people will tell you you are hearing no. It's not your demographic. It's not your age. You know, your age. There's not a lot of stuff out there for you right now. You're, for me, it's, you're so tall. It's so difficult. There are a million reasons. And I think at a certain point, I just decided that that could all be true. And it didn't mean I wasn't going to be successful. Okay, great. So that's the problem. How do I solve it? And so when I started thinking about 
attaching myself to the joy of the process. I mean, I, th- I think one of the things we talked about last time is like, as soon as I get an audition in, noticing that rush of excitement and then starting to identify when it started to go away. Hmm. So the rush of excitement comes in. Oh, I got an appointment. And then when does it start to go away? Is it when you read the breakdown and it says like, you know, uh, mid twenties and you're like, fuck, I'm 30 now. Like, I, <laughs> oh. and then you start working backwards on like, how are you going to make sure that you look mid twenties? Because that's the thing that you're not, or you see that they're bright or they're bubbly and you think, oh, that's not totally my wheelhouse. But, or is it that you see who's doing the project and that freaks you out? Cause you think they're so amazing. How could you ever dream to be on a show with them? Or maybe you read the breakdown and you feel fucking great and then you start to work on it and then you run it with someone and you feel awkward for whatever reason and then you start to get in your head. I, I just started to try to identify when I started to box myself out of feeling joyful. Okay. Because that first moment of getting the appointment and feeling the possibility of doing something you love and getting paid for it and all of those wonderful things, there's so much joy attached to that. And my visualization really became around trying to keep that through line of joy. What keeps me joyful throughout this entire process? And it's okay if another thought comes in, but how do I shift back to joy? A little bit like mantra meditation, I think. Like, you're going to have other thoughts. That's not the point. Of course you are. The point is to not punish yourself and to steer your back, to to steer yourself back to joy. Can you talk about that? That's a, a beautiful idea and mm-hmm. concept. Can you make that more practical or moment to moment? Can you like give an example of going through that? Um, yeah. So uh, I think it's easier when you're putting yourself on tape because I can really fully imagine only myself sure, and no one else is there. And it's a little trickier when you have to go into a room and you see like seven other people out there. Um, so maybe I'll address taping first, but I think it comes from me imagining that the people who created this have a problem and they need someone to solve it. And they want someone who's going to make them feel comfortable, excited to be around and like, Oh yeah, definitely jump on our boat right? Mm -hmm. Like we only have so much room in this boat and we're going to this Island and it's a long trip. And like, who do we want in there? And I think that sense of joy and ease comes through. So I guess, and especially being a coach too, I can tell you right now, if you're worried about your hair, you're fucked. Yep. You know, if you're worried about if your outfit's right, you're fucked. Like there's a point to think about that kind of stuff. And then you have to let all of that go. And the only thing that can matter is you threading yourself into the story and serving the story as much as possible. What is going to make the people who are giving you the job go, oh, oh, thank God, this this feels great. You just made our lives easier. So I think continuing to visualize that for me works. And that's more of an energy. It's not. That's going back to the idea of being in service. Absolutely. How can I make everyone else's life easier by showing up? Yeah, absolutely. Because guess what? That gives me joy. So So the moment that you get nervous about, let's say, the person who's, you know, show running the project is someone you've really, you just think is wonderful. Or maybe it's something that makes you nervous because you had an audition for that casting director that didn't go the way you wanted it to at one point. And you start to feel that, that thought of, you feel yourself start to tighten. You feel Mm -hmm. that thing in, in your solar plexus a little bit. Yeah. So the moment then is that, do you just consciously say, 
I'm going to breathe and I'm going to remember that I need to be in service? Is it, yeah. what is the thought? I would say the thought, it, it can be dependent on the character too. Sure. But I will definitely dive into their world because that gives me joy. Mm-hmm. Be like, okay, you know what? This, everything is working out perfectly. That's a phrase that I will often repeat. Everything is working out perfectly. I feel joy in this moment. Um, here are my favorite things about what's about to happen. Um, I love this character. I'm imagining like this beautiful energetic door opening and me walking through it on the other side of it is just fully existing in this character with total joy. And I keep saying joy. I, I guess it's important to address the idea that if you're coming from a place of creativity and joy, it's a higher vibration, right? That's one that gets us excited, gets us connected. It's charismatic. Absolutely. So when you bring in that vibration, anything of a lower vibration shakes away. It can't exist in this higher frequency. If you want to think about it like that. Sure. So rather than focusing on what I'm nervous about, which is giving more energy to those lower vibrations, if I can just find my way to the joy and the creativity, then everything else falls away. So was that a conscious decision? Was it like a lightning bolt? Was it, how did you come to that? Huh? That's a good question too. I think I got sick of my own bullshit. Oh, boy, that's a helpful one. I think there was just a time where I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this being a bad experience. I'm tired of worrying about if everything is perfect and if I'm wearing the right outfit and if I look beautiful and is it this or is it that or is it this or is it that? And like how I was trying to solve the problem from a very worried place. And I just got exhausted. It's not fun. It's not fucking fun. And and think about that. Like, do you want to bring that to set? Is that how you want your whole set experience to be? You're worried about who you're meeting or if you're doing a good job or if the director likes or you're like, well, is that who they're going to hire? They're going to hire someone who's worried about whether they can do the job. I can't think of a single profession where I have to hire anyone from the person who's going to take my order to the person who's going to give me brain surgery Absolutely. that I want them to be worried about whether they're going to come through. Exactly. Like, that's yep. just not an energy that anybody wants. It's it's also no. not the energy you want out of somebody who's going to be your friend. Are they worried about how it, what it takes to be your friend, uh, to date you? With any of the, like, no one wants that energy with anything. And not to say that you're bad if you think it, mm-hmm. but that we are kind of somewhat in control over how we interact with the world and maybe start trying to make it a conscious choice to shift. Absolutely. Because that's and a I, muscle. It's totally possible. It's a perspective shift, which is a miracle. Anytime you can see something in a different way, that's a miracle mm-hmm. in my book. So where do those perspective shifts lie for you? I think as creative people, we have to figure out how to shift it from a creative place. So is that mantra meditation for you? Is it actual meditation? Is it singing? Sometimes when I feel excess body, uh, like excess body energy, I fully shake. Like I, I do like a shake out and I imagine all that energy leaving my body, which is a creative exercise. Talk about being a weird theater kid. Um, <laughs> You know, I have a journaling exercise that I do that I was really into around the time of Instant Family. And I'll give you this one practical Please. experience. Please, so practical. Yeah. So when the audition came in, I knew it was to play Rose Byrne's sister. And every night I was journaling. I was writing down everything I was grateful for, which is mm-hmm. practical, like things I had actually experienced, any synchronicities, like, oh, I ran into so-and-so and I had just been thinking about them. Just Forcing, not forcing myself, inviting myself to recall these little things that can get shoved under the rug. 
and and record them. And then I had a little section in my journal where I would future write. So I future wrote, oh my gosh, I just had the most amazing day on set with Rose. She's so wonderful to work with. And it turns out we both, like just making things up. It's like, turns out we both like have blood this connection to like this food on this aisle at the Whole Foods, which is right around the corner from the hotel. And it's so nice to be in this space with all of these other actors, you know, because sometimes you get put in another hotel. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know that, but <laughs> yes, you, you don't do. always get to be at the bougie hotel. Uh, so I was <laughs> like, I'm at the big hotel and this is happening and like, oh my gosh. And, and like Sean has all these amazing ideas. Who's a director of Instant Family. And I just wrote it as if it was an actual journal entry from that day. And look, that doesn't always mean you get the job, mm-hmm. but it definitely puts me in a joyful, creative place, which helps me get the next job, even if it's not that job. And I think that when you do get the job and you get to go back and look at those entries, it's an incredibly synchronistic, magical moment. And that's how you creatively involve yourself in creating your life. I love that. Right? It's, it's visualizing yourself where your life works out. Yes. Where you want to be and who you want to be with and what that feels like and putting yourself into that vibration, I think, is really important. What does the beginning of your audition prep look like? Where are you? How do you interact with the script the first couple of times? How quickly do you bring in another person? That's a great question. I would say another major thing that shifted for me is when I when I first started to get an audition and get excited that it came in, I switched my thinking to the first thought and I truly didn't believe it at first and then I faked it until I made it. Mm-hmm. And I do believe this now and I don't mean this arrogantly at all. But as soon as I get an audition, I go, oh, I could book this. It's like, let me just take care of the first worry. It's like, yeah, of course I could do this. Great. This is so exciting. Of course I can do it. When I get into a car, I don't think, oh, God, I'm probably going to crash. Exactly. I I can get there. And it doesn't make you an (laughs) asshole to think that you can drive. Yes. You know? So it's important to immediately get it and go, oh, great. This is, oh, fucking awesome. Yeah. Yes. Why not So enthusiasm and confidence. Okay. Um, Yeah, of course I can book this. Let's see. Let's play. So that's what I do. And then I just kind of, you know, I look for like the things I need to know. Where am I? Who am I talking to? But also like, do you have a favorite spot in your apartment? Do you, do you need a certain kind of environment? Do you need the house to be clean? Do you need sun? Do you need to go on a walk? Do you like, what does it look like? Oh, I love that. It looks like anything. (laughs) And I think that's actually the key for me is that I can be fucking anywhere in any space. I can be reading it on my phone. I can be reading it on my computer. I don't need anything fancy. I don't need a ritual. I'm not superstitious because I know that I can do it no matter where I am or what's going on. And I really think that was helpful for me is to stop thinking that there was some magic way to do it. Mm -hmm. How quickly do you get the words off the page versus spend time reading it again and again and visualizing? I'm a pretty quick study. Um, when I'm having a harder time with the words, it means I know I'm worried. Mm. So if I can like get my shit straight before I start in terms of my energy, mm-hmm. then I, I absorb it really quickly. And then I think another thing that I pass on to my clients too is when you do go to another person, if you do start to experience, oh God, another person's being invited in now, Ugh. right? Just communicate with them. Be like, hey, this is my first time saying it out loud. I'm at like 30% with the scene. So hopefully running it with you a couple of times, I'm hoping to get to like 50. Yeah. And then it, like no one is trying to make you be at 100%, yo. You know, like don't put that on yourself because then you crumble and then you start to doubt yourself and then you freak out. 
So it's like, hey, just be where you are and you will get a little bit better. And then maybe you need to go run it with somebody else. Maybe you don't. Maybe you feel really good. Um, I always like to run it with someone if I'm if I'm going into an office, I like to run it with someone like the hour before I go in. Yeah. I do need that last like blah just to like get it out mm-hmm. um, so that there's not a lot of time for me to start to build up another story in my head about me not knowing the lines, et cetera. Ooh, love that. Do you always work on it with Alex, your husband, or is it, do you have a team of people that you like would call at a given moment? I am super fortunate that I am married to an actor. A very um, talented actor. That was by design. I love actors. I work with them. I, they're my friends. They're my husbands. Like, I think creative people are my favorite people. So, um, yeah, I run it with him. And then if he's not there, anybody that I trust that I've been in class with, that's another teacher at the studio, I will text them and ask them for 15 minutes on FaceTime. And I'll just set up my computer and have them run it with me really quickly. And I think that's the important thing about community. That is. It doesn't have to be perfect. They don't have to drive to you. You don't oh, have to drive God. to them. It doesn't no. have to be three hours. It's just, just give me a person to connect to and give me two cents. Yes, exactly. Give me two cents. Give me one more run before I go in. And I, I guess we are kind of coming on a theme, which is like, I do all of the work, but I don't let it worry me because worrying isn't work. It takes effort to worry, but it's yeah, not work. It's not work, man. And it makes you think you're working even harder and you care even more. But it is truly, I think, that element of trust of being like, hey, we're here. Like, how many hours have you been doing this in your life? You know, how many degrees do you have? How many more hours do you need to feel good at this? Totally. Yeah. And when you think about like that two minutes, it's not just that two minutes. It's 10 years in that two minutes. It's Mm -hmm. 20 years in that two minutes. Like, hey, yeah. And maybe that doesn't even mean you get the job, but it means you can feel really good about the work that you did. And I think when you always feel good and always is a tricky word, but as close to always as possible to be in a joyful creative space, the work comes it may not be exactly what you wanted at the time you wanted it, but it's contagious. It's truly contagious. Do you feel like you consciously, I think I know the answer to this. <laughs> do you feel like you consciously do things to stay in that joyful, creative place outside of your work life? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. So what does that mean to you? It means that I touch base with myself. I have gotten really comfortable with the things that make me happy. I love to go to music festivals. I love to cook. I love to be with friends. I love to be alone. I love to go on vacations by myself. I love to go on group vacations. I just tune into what is the thing that's going to make me feel like, oh, yeah, I'm on the planet right now. And It's looking good. So let's say you have an afternoon and there is no audition and Mm -hmm. there is no coaching Mm -hmm. and you get this magical moment to yourself and there is no work. Yeah. How do you feel that time? To feel joyful. To feel joyful? Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people will instantly stress that like, well, I got to do something to make some money or or I need to clean the apartment at this moment or it, it turns into this kind of worried Uh, there's that word again, a worried frenzy of activity rather than something that's actually enriching. Right. You're like, well, I don't have work, so I'll worry. So that's work, right? Well, that feels productive somehow. Yeah, that feels productive. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of us think that like, if we're not taking advantage of some time, someone's going to judge us. Like, and that's the reason why you're not successful is because you decided to have fun. Yes. How dare you? Um, Yeah, I think for me, 
I love taking my dog to the park because mm-hmm. she is pure, unconditional joy and love. And it gets me out of my head so fast to watch her just like running and chasing a fucking ball. And it's the greatest moment of her life yeah. every time. <laughs> Every time. It's amazing. It's consistent. Um, I like to go for hikes. I like to be outside. Nature's really grounding for me. I love to nap. Oh, God, I love to sleep so much. I have, <laughs> I feel zero guilt about sleeping. I will often, like, meditate into a nap. I don't feel guilty about falling asleep while I meditate. I don't sit up. I lie down. It feels good to me. In your face, Deepak Chopra. I'm kidding. Um, he's great. I often fall asleep to um, – I actually really like his meditations. Um, I will – I love class pass. I mm-hmm. have class pass. And so when I have a little pocket of time, I will often go on class pass and see what's around that what I class haven't pass? done before. Tell people who don't know. Oh, my gosh. So you go on class pass. You pay – I think it's $79. But you guys, if you know someone who's on it, get a discount because my first month was free. And you get points. You get 40 points. And classes all over Los Angeles cost a certain amount of points. And I mean, they have everything. They have dance classes. They have sound baths. They have meditation classes. They have, uh, there's an urban sweat lodge on there. There's float tanks on there. Holy cow. There's sports. There's cycle classes. There's uh, bodybuilding, like muscle thing, you know, people who do that kind of stuff with weights. I'm not that person. Clearly. Yeah. Sorry. I wasn't even trying to be funny, you guys. I was really stumped on that. I was like, yep. what is that called? What is Where it? you lift. Lifting? Lifting heavy things. Yeah. But it's like, you know. Working out. Those yeah. kind of classes. Yeah. Pilates reformer machines. Sure. Um, bar classes. So what I hear also is, well, let me ask, how much time are you scrolling through your phone? Oh, God. It is so hard not to do it. I mean, I know how invaluable it is, and it still will suck me in. Um, so when I notice that I've been doing it for a while, and I'm like, oh, I'm not even having thoughts. I am not having thoughts. Do you know what that means? Mm. I'm numbing. Yeah. I'm numbing myself. And then I have to say, well, what am I numbing myself from? Oh, I'm worried about this. Okay. So why don't you actually think about that instead? And think about something that counteracts that rather than just trying to numb it. Because it sounds like you're kind of unapologetic that you're going to do something that makes you happy, which for some reason, I think for most people sounds a little bit indulgent or like somehow wasteful. Sure. And people feel more comfortable numbing because it's not like I, oh, I'm going to sit here for an hour and look at my phone. It just happened. Right. It's just an hour of my life just disappeared. But you know, the one that I really love is I love going to movies alone. Oh, yes. I live right near the Lemley and NoHo. I can oh, so walk. you get the good ones. I can walk. I get really good movies there. Like the yeah. theater's nice. There are people who actually like movies who go there. Yeah. And it's like, just like go. And hey, I have like three hours right now. I'll go see Parasite again. You know, totally. it's just, it's like, what a lovely Ugh. creative recharge and to like be around the thing that I love doing it's so, so much. It's so good. And you know what else? When you're in a movie, you're mildly hypnotized, mm. which also feels really good. Especially being a creative person. So if you notice that, you know, when you're in a movie, if you are very easily sucked in, um, or let's say even if you're at home and you're watching something and your partner or a friend like asks you a question, it kind of jars you and pulls you out. That shows you what level you're able to be hypnotized. Yeah. And the marker for that is that your brain is able to believe that what you're seeing is reality. Mm-hmm. You are able to really let yourself dive into that film and believe that what you're you're tricking, you're allowing your brain to be tricked into suspension thinking this is disbelief. really happening. Yeah, absolutely, a suspension of disbelief. So it feels wonderful to be mildly hypnotized because we get 
to go somewhere, but what a creative activity. That's what we want to be doing in our work, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about being in the zone or being in flow when you go into an audition. It's like, hey, that's where you want to be, same place you are when you're watching a movie. You want to fully feel like everything is around you. So that sense of surrender, you practicing it, is such an it's such an amazing activity to be doing in your own little laboratory. Yeah. You know? I feel like people need to be spending their off time in ways that make them happier. It just Yes. Um I wanted to ask you about self-tapes. Okay. Do you feel like you have anything that you've learned about self-tapes over the years? Things that you think make a better one or that needs to be a part of yours? Anything? Yeah, I would say the number one thing that I see with clients is actually the slates, which casting doesn't always watch, but the producers do because they don't know who you are. So what you want to imagine when you're doing your slate is not like, I am also being this character so you don't think I'm breaking character or being stiff or being presentational or trying to look like a model doing blue steel. No, it needs to feel like, oh, cool, this person's not crazy. I could spend 14 hours a day, you know, five days a week with this person, mm -hmm. awesome. So you just want to, uh, to imagine like it being a virtual handshake. It's like, hi, how are you? I'm a normal human, nice, right? I picture that's exactly what you say, hi. How yeah, are you? I, well, I do. Human? I'm like, hey, guys, I'm Britt Wrenchler. I'm 5'10", whatever it is. And then I smile and then they do a full body and it's done. Yeah. But I don't, I don't want people to ever appear rigid or like the slate is a test. Brian it's, Norris, 5'11", yeah. based in Los Angeles. Go. Go. Yeah, go, it's go, not go. a test, dude. It's just... You just be a human. Be a person. So that's my number one for slates, as I anyone like who's that. taped with me will know. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is, David Sullivan used to always say this when he was teaching at the studio, which I loved. If you see it, they'll see it. If you create an environment where you know where everybody is and exactly what's going on, and you, I'm a big fan of like entering and exiting into the frame, creating a strong beginning, middle, and end, and knowing your environment, it will set you apart because when they just turn on a tape and it looks like an actor acting in one space and that's it, even if they're really good, it is so different to start a tape and feel like all of a sudden you are watching someone's life. Mm -hmm. That's my biggest tip for it. I think if you, whatever you need to do to create that, um, I'm not a fan of using props to a point where it detracts from the scene. Mm -hmm. Like if the scene all of a sudden becomes about the fact that you have a broom and you're sweeping, like don't do that. But simulate the energy of someone who's sweeping, which is someone who's kind of busy and distracted while they're talking so you can be flipping through your pages. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I think whatever you need, if you need to have, if you're entering in from somewhere, have your purse on your shoulder. Like these small little psychological things that help someone's brain all of a sudden be tricked into believing that what's happening is real yeah actually create something don't just read with somebody in front of a camera yeah i mean you can but it might not be very fun it might not be the thing you want it to be yeah um we both have a lot of clients who work in the southeast and i was just i feel like that's a very invoke thing to talk about right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. um is there anything that you've learned coaching a lot of people who fly across the country for auditions and things like that um that you feel like if people are interested or or wondered wondering or wary yeah well i have i have clients that work you know the local markets are hot everywhere we have a lot of canadian actors mm -hmm. um New York, people who are bi-coastal, Chicago, um, Southeast. I would say the major thing for the Southeast is people need to be aware of the fact that there is a difference between local hire and regional hire. Mm -hmm. Everyone calls it local hire, but truly regional hire is anywhere within 500 miles. So 
you might book something in Florida, but you live in Tennessee, right? Local means you're within 60 miles. You treat it as if, like, if I book something right now in Los Angeles, they're going to give me a call time. They expect me to show up to set. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, in Santa Monica or it's on Gower right by my house. I have my car. I get myself there. They're not worried about it. Yeah. That's local hire. Um, and the thing that people need to know is that if you say you are local hire, that means that they're expecting that they, if their day shifts by one or two days, that you can be okay with that immediately. Or they can call you in the morning at 10 a.m. and say, we need you in for a fitting at 2 p.m. And you can be there because you're local. Right. So I think some trouble that I have been seeing is that people are so eager to do jobs that they're not being diligent and making sure that they can be where they need to be on time. Because, again, our job is to make production's life easier. Make everyone's life easier. Be in service. Yes. That's how you recur. Right. (laughs) What about flying out for a callback? Okay. I mean, I would say that's a case-by-case basis. I mean, they're not going to fly you out. Nope. It's totally your choice. If you want to go, it's the same as if, like, I want to, you know, drive to San Francisco for a callback. Like, that's my business. Mm -hmm. Um, You just need to consider what that means and remember that no one owes you anything. And if you're going to wear the stress Mm -hmm. of a $1,000 price tag over your head when you walk into your callback, you got to think about that. And the stress of being on an airplane or two and having baggage. And are you going to go right back to the airport? Do you have a place to stay that night? Do you have a place to shower at a time? Exactly. I think it's important to be very realistic about this situation. And also... Tune into if it's resonant for you. You know, I'm from Alabama. So working in the South to me, you know, when I moved out here, I kept my agent. Mm -hmm. So there's something to, you know, my clients that are in Chicago and work locally have families in Chicago. Yeah. But that's also tricky because with Chicago and New York, you really do have to be with, there is no regional. It is like you are there and you are there and you are there. And same with Canada, Mm -hmm. unless it's like back and forth between Vancouver and Toronto or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So I say, you know, don't, Buy into the hype. Doing everything is never the right answer. Yep. Doing the things that are really resonant and are lighting up for you and that you really know you can commit to, that is always the right answer. But the easiest way to get stressed out is to get shiny ball syndrome and think that you need to do what everybody else is doing and you force the situation. And then your relationship with your reps gets stressed. Your relationship with your pocketbook gets stressed. Your relationship with production gets stressed. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be too negative. I just, it's... Just be realistic about it. Yeah, I feel like that's the thing. It can be a really wonderful, exciting opportunity. It's perfect in so many ways for some people. I think it's also important to be realistic that just because you do maybe get a really lovely job somewhere else, that doesn't mean that LA is going to bend over backwards for you instantly either. What it is, is just what it is. It is a job. It is a paycheck, potentially, if you book it. Hopefully. It might be a wonderful experience. And that, but that's where the expectations should end. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think, you know, if I just book one or two things, you know, in Austin, then all of a sudden all the LA agents are going to call. And so that's why it's worth maybe going into a little debt over. And it's like, no, it's still the long game. It's still the long game. We still need to be building piece by piece. Yeah. It's always a long game. I mean, it's a career, right? Um, We are right near the end so I guess the last question I want to ask is have you seen anything recently or read anything recently that you just love ooh 
I didn't know that was coming. I you know, guys. I know, I know. Uh, I just stumped her with the last one. Uh, oh my god. Let's see. You know, honestly, this is not new news, but what I'm currently rereading right now is Big Magic. Oh, God, I love that book. It's such a good book. It's such a fucking good book. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful and honest and direct and right for everyone Mm -hmm. because it's about creativity and it's about creative living and it's so related to our joy as human beings, no matter what job we've chosen, but being a creative person is our purpose in life. Whether you're creating, maybe you're creating in a laboratory, maybe you're creating in the operating room, maybe you're creating on set, but that innate desire within a human to create our space and create our life is what brings joy and sharing that is what brings joy and what's what connects us. So that's, that's my favorite. I mean, that's what I'm rereading. It's, I keep that book and uh, the war of art in my house. And I think of it as the, like um, the fire alarm, like the, in case of emergency behind the glass. Absolutely. That whenever I start getting anxious, whenever I start having worried thoughts, I break the glass and I grab one of those two books and I just try to read like five pages. Perfect. And just like, can I get a couple pages down? Because almost always that is the beginning of, of, of shifting out of wherever I am into something so much more positive and kind to myself and in that creative spirit. And from totally. there, I love that things get, things get better. Yeah. And then little women was my favorite movie that I've seen. Recently. Oh my God. It was so good. Just completely transporting. And I loved reading all the articles about Greta Gerwig doing her homework and how she brought elements of Louisa May Alcott's life into the film. Mm-hmm. Like she was a runner, which was such an unusual thing to yeah. be at that time for women. You imagine in all those clothes. You see and these so, great shots of Saoirse Ronan exactly, just running. Which is bringing in the author's real life into the film and just knowing that she took all of that intention. And the ice cream that they get mm-hmm. that the grandfather sends over, that was from the oldest ice cream store in town. It was like, had been there like a hundred in 10 years and it was really this pink peppermint ice cream they've been making incredible the attention to detail and the true love for the craft was so evident to me in that film it just it like lifted me did you grow up reading that book oh yeah were you a joe yeah 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 oh i cut my hair real short <laughs> yep and then i cried just like joe oh my goodness yeah. oh my goodness well mm-hmm. Uh, not your part this time, but you know, yeah, your joke can okay. inspire a lot of other things. Yeah, you know, put that we, energy in somewhere else. Totally. Okay. Well, Britt, thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's been yeah. a pleasure having you on. And maybe when Uncle Frank comes out, we have you back on to talk more <gasps> oh about God. that. I have a hundred other things I could ask you about, but our time is up. So until next time, thank you, Britt Rentschler. Bye. Thank you so much to Brittany. Thank you to John Rosenfeld Studios and Horrible Haikus. And yes, thank you to you. Yes, you for listening. Uh, that's it for today. Please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. That helps a ton. Please tell your friends, share the love, share the episodes, and reach out on social media or email. Our address is industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear your feedback, what you're enjoying, what you'd like to hear, all that good stuff. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then. 